Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Welcome into the next installment of the Basketball IQ Workshop Series presented by Huddle. Really excited tonight to be talking basketball analytics and specifically the application of analytics to our coaching. Joining us tonight is another incredible panel of coaches. Because of where we are in the season with things just getting underway for a lot of teams, I wanted to start here. The idea of utilizing data from the past season and the performances from the from the previous year to plan for the start of the new season. Randy, you kind of alluded to this already, but I'd like to start with you because of the work you do with the coaches and uh, as they evaluate themselves, uh, as they evaluate their team's performance. Can you just kind of give some general thoughts maybe on this using past season's performance at the start here to prepare for the upcoming season? My first thought would be for some goal setting for performances for the upcoming season uh, would be to look back at some of your uh, performances in the past. And you can probably find, at least on paper, some some areas of deficiency that, that you need to target. That would be maybe some undermining issues from seasons past that need to uh, need to be addressed for the upcoming season. You know, plan around those and, and you've got, you know, statistical justification for prioritizing those things going into the new season. One of the things that, that I help coaches with is, is, is realistic goal setting for your team's performances. The past is a good starting point, you know, and, and um, where, where we were last season, um, needs to maybe be the floor for where, where we go ne- this coming season. So that that's one of the things that I think would, would first come to mind. Is there anything in particular that you all look at or that you guys, even this year as you've planned for this upcoming season, specific stats or things that you feel like would be good indicators or things that uh, have specifically adjusted what you do for the upcoming year? One that I really focus on is shot charts. You know, I think all of us have probably heard a coach at some point tell us to practice game shots and game spots. But um, if, you, if you keep really detailed shot charts, you know, for players um, and for positions and even like broken down by play, right? When we run this play, it most often leads to this shot in this spot for this guy. I think that that's something that can be really helpful. You, you talk to a lot of kids and you're like, hey, where, where are you good from? They'll, they'll say, I'm a three-point shooter. And I say, no, where do you shoot from? Where are you good from? And they say, oh, I like the, the wing. I say, no, specifically tell me, where are you taking your shots? I mean, a lot of times they don't know, but if you, if you have a good shot chart from an entire year and you can say, wow, our, you know, our wings took 47% of their shots from these three spots on the floor and you were a wing or you're, you're going to play this position next year. So this entire off season, while you're practicing, while you're, while you're working on your game, you need to take a hundred of these shots from this, from these spots every single day because these are most likely the spots that you're going to be shooting from as, as we're talking about analytics you know one of the most important things is just making things more efficient and you know if we can practice specific shots 
from specific spots for each specific player. I mean, that, that's, that's something that can really work wonders for your team. I would say the same thing. Nobody 20 years ago was really looking at a shot chart as they weren't calling it analytics. A lot of times in scouting, that's what a coach was doing when they were scouting another team. Uh, but scouting yourself, it's a little bit easier, in my opinion, to do that against a zone defense. You know exactly where they're going to be. And I create my zone sets and what I want, and I put people in those spots. And when you're looking against playing against a lot of zone, I think that shot chart is is really, really helpful. It's obviously helpful any time, like John said, but I think I've really used it the most uh, going against zone. Yeah, Burton brought this up, so I'll go ahead and ask it. Whether it's looking at you know how, how a team plays defensively zone and that creating the kinds of shots that you want your team to take, Beyond the shooting, though, even into other areas, how has data and analytics empowered you as a coach to innovate and to change? Uh, there are several on here that have been coaching for a while, but even those that, you know, you've been around the game and watched the game. How have those advanced stats allowed you to innovate as a coach? Following the same trend we've seen in basketball at large over the past maybe 10 years, which is identifying the spots on the floor that are the most efficient and being able to orient a style that combines the perfect mix of personnel with, you know, what does efficiency look like? What does efficient basketball look like? But from a a scouting standpoint or a game planning standpoint, I think, you know, there are lots of coaches who they they talk about how they want to play. But the reality for me, um, I think for a lot of coaches is that um, we're not necessarily um, excellent at any one thing good enough to be able to ac- be excellent at that thing against every single opponent that we play. We like to say that we are as a coach, but being able to look at the box score and know we want to, uh, we call it the shot battle, right? Always wanting to take more shots than the other team. And that's a simple math formula. It, it comes down to possessions minus turnovers plus offensive rebounds is the number of shots you're going to take. And being able to adjust game to game, knowing what your opponent's going to do to be able to emphasize and practice a couple of days, something that's not outside of maybe what your team already does or is already an emphasis, but take it and say, okay, you know, here's priorities. Here are our emphases that we emphasize every game, but in this game specifically because of how the opponent plays, you know, we're going to prioritize one, two, and three in order to win that shot battle, right, in order to um, get more shots than the other team. You know, one of the things that that we have talked a lot about these last couple of years, especially, has been what matters to winning. It goes beyond just us as a staff knowing what matters to winning, but communicating that as well to our players, because you only have so much time in a, in a day to emphasize the right things. And they can become confused as to what actually matters to winning. And so for us, the innovation has come in the drills that we create and the things that we talk about in the the you know competitions, the small sided games that we have, um, in the conversations that we have, the film sessions, the clips that we're actually showing. I mean, it really has transformed everything that we do. And it's not that the other things don't matter. People always have, well, here are my 25 things that I chart, and these are all important to winning. Um, I'm not going to argue with you that they aren't important to winning, but the fact of the matter is some things are more important than others. And if your players don't really know what matters to winning, I think that you're probably not going to win many games. I'll ask on the other side of the ball too, John, you and I talked about this years ago, but when you took over there on the defensive side, the type of defense that you guys were going to run was based off of the fact that at your level, what you were coaching teams really struggled to shoot the ball. And you felt too, that if you could take away things around the basket then you'd have a pretty good shot at winning. And I know your team went from, I believe it was last 
to finish lost in the state championship game. Is that is that is that accurate? Yeah, we went from four and eighteen in year one to a state championship loss in year two. You know, it was primarily based off of a of a, a total defensive transformation plus threes and threes and layups, right? And the layups and threes are, are things that anyone that watches basketball that follows basketball understands that it's all about those shots, right? It's, it's Maury ball. It's, you know, it's whatever you want to call it. But I remember, you know, specifically realizing the NBA game is different from the college game and the college game is different from the high school game. And a lot of times these, the basic principles apply to all three, but exactly how they need to be implemented at all three are going to be different. Right. And so like, I I remember my, my breakthrough, you know, coaching, um, you know, a low level high school basketball was that threes were so much more valuable than, than, than twos because they shot almost no differently on them. You know, a, a high schooler shooting an 18 footer on the, on the three point line versus a, a 20 footer behind the three point line, they're shooting almost the exact same percentage a lot of times, right? It's not like, you know, you have some specialists in the NBA, like David West, one of my favorite players, the 17-foot assassin. You want him taking that shot every time because he's shooting better than 50% from that. So, of course, that's a great shot. But most of your high school players, they're, if they're shooting 34% from three, they're shooting 33% from on the line. So just take the, take the step back and take the, take the longer shot. And defensively, it was the exact opposite. We were doing a lot of things to force them, like, hey, they're, they're terrible at these shots. They're terrible at both, but just don't let them take this one because if they do happen to make it, it, it hurts you extra. So, yeah, so those were, those were some of the things that um, I remember you and I talked about extensively, how we want to take these concepts that we see Coach K using at Duke and that we see you know, Coach Spo using it at Miami but translate them a little bit. It's going to be different at the high school level. How can we, how can we best, you know, how can we best make this fit what, what, what we're doing on this level? Right now, Huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the Return to Play program. The program includes subscriptions for every program, as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus, the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, which automatically records your home games, with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get Huddle Assist. That means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how Huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit Huddle.com. That's Huddle.com to learn more. So let's talk about how it would apply to, I'd like to get everybody's thought with this, but like how these apply to your coaching on a day-to-day basis. Question that was asked, I think is good. Maybe we can start with, but which of the four factors are you willing to give up? So if, if those are things that you are consistently looking at, which do you feel is something that you may not focus in on and what actually matters to you and whatever what actually matters, even outside of the four factors, if you want to talk about like these are top two things that we focus on. You and I have talked about this with our team and it's just at our level, we're not going to have any really anybody above six, 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 seven very often. And 
Um, and the kind of system that we play, even if they are taller, they're not going to be effective in the way that we play defense and, and try to press and stuff like that. And so because of what the rest of our system entails, if I had to say one thing out of those four factors is a little bit less important to me, it is it is the rebounding. Uh, I mean, I really feel like we're going to get our possessions in another way. And, you know, it grates on me as an old fashioned coach to say that I don't want to ever feel like I'm, I'm just conceding something, but if I did have to choose, that would be something that I feel like we're gaining, you know, in another way. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that, especially at the high school level where you're going to have a different level of, of officials that are going to call a, you know, a different, type of foul more commonly. I typically found that that uh, encouraging my guys to go after offensive rebounds was honestly the best way to get them into <laughs> foul trouble, either because they're not, you know, they're not intelligent enough to, to, to go after them without fouling or because officials love calling over the back fouls and all sorts of those things in high school anyway. So to be completely honest, I pretty much completely punted offensive rebounding it was much more important for my teams to get back and stop fast breaks for the for the four or five or six offensive rebounds that we might get a game it was it was well worth keeping my guys out of foul trouble and getting back on defense and, and shutting off the fast break points the other one that i that i would sometimes focus on is is i, w- I would always try to explain to my guys that that not all turnovers are created equal that throwing the ball out of bounds, it would be like, you know, a, a turnover of omission, right? You were careless. Those are the turnovers that kill you compared to sometimes you have a turnover of commission where you're really trying to do something. You're trying to get into the lane. You're trying to force something. If you're going to have the ball, if you're going to try to make plays, you're going to turn the ball over. For us, I'd say it changes on a game to game basis a little bit depending on our opponent, but I'd love to say that offensive rebounding percentage is the number because we're making everything. So uh, I'd love to say that's the one I'm giving up, but no, I, I, we, we do, we do talk about it. And, and again, we, we kind of talk about it to our team in terms of more just straight turnovers and offensive rebounds. And then I kind of have an understanding of how that impacts uh, those rate based statistics and at our level. And again, we're kind of a, a middling program that's kind of working to, to take the next level, we will win the shot battle uh, and have an approach to it a little bit differently every game in terms of the skill of the opponent, how good they are, and where we think we can get an advantage. We, to be honest, we don't we don't get beat in transition too much, and so in and, and, and our conference, um, we are encouraged to attack the glass more because we we have teams that love to to slow it down and, and run sets. And so if if we're not doing that, we're not really getting hurt by it. It doesn't always help us, but we're not really hurt, so why not do it? Uh, and then we adjust, you know, kind of how we win the turnover battle based on basically are we the better ball handling team than the opponent and how we scout that and, and try to um, scheme our way into that. So we'll finish with this. If you guys want to kind of give a 20 to 30 second, I'd like to hear from each of you. But how is basketball evolving and how would you suggest that coaches sensibly incorporate analytics into their coaching? I have a quick answer to this, so I'll go first. I would say just use it in practice. That's that's the kind of the advice I give the most to coaches who ask me this question. And I know, I know Mike Neighbors at Arkansas. He's kind of at Arkansas. He's kind of popularized this idea of using plus minus in practice and tracking it in practice to help. And and you know I know he's talked about how he he will chart it. He'll show the team here's your plus minus in practice. Whether you want to do it as a drill wins, right? You know, like a, a drill win is one and a drill loss is minus one or whatever. Or you want to do the points within that drill, whatever that may look like. 
but it's so easy to do and it really can help you inform decisions. You know, the way that I think about analytics and as my journey through analytics has uh, kind of gone on, it really helps me see the game better. Um, and to Randy's point earlier about, you know, being able to hear a player talk about that, that would show me as a coach that they actually understand what drives winning and what doesn't. Um, and so I, the, the encouragement I give to coaches is, is use it in practice. Um, use lineup efficiencies, uh, track which lineups win. Don't, don't track it necessarily just on the individual level, but what groups win. And what that will do is that will inform your eyes to go look for why this group is winning or why this group is, is losing. So it, you're, and you're not just basing your decisions off of your own biases, but you're being able to use an easy statistic to track, easy number to track that can help you inform decisions and help your eyes look at more specifically what is helping that group or that team win. I would say that you know we see it in the NBA, it's gonna trickle down, it's inevitable that that the sport is becoming more positionless the the archetype positions of there's a point guard a shooting guard a small forward a power forward and a center those lines are blurred and they're going to become more blurred that's that's probably the biggest evolution that i that 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 i think of and when i think of like there's some there like like seth just said like there are some biases and some 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 absorbed learning in the way it's always been done type thinking that um, letting go of that might help. For example, having the bravery, if you will, to like, hey, here, let's 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 put our best five guys out there from an analytics perspective. And if like that group, like someone says, well, there's not a center in that, or there's not a what it, say. All right, that, that's true, but we're going to try this anyway. That seems so arbitrary to me to say that you know it has to fit this certain mold. It's like you're volunteering to put inefficient players on the bench i'm sorry inefficient players on the court when you don't really have to for for arbitrary reasons uh, we tend to look at analytics and think about it only on the offensive side of the ball and i do think that you have to look at it on the defensive side of the ball we've, we've only touched on that briefly but you know it when i coached in in high school and i've carried it into college if you know anything about Dave Smart at Carleton and some of the stuff that PGC has done with lock left. If you can force your opponent to drive down the left side of the court, you're not forcing them to their weak hand. Just statistically running your offense from the left-hand side of the court. And, and Morgan Wooten told me a hundred years ago that your goal in practice is to break the other team's practice habits. And I think we need to use analytics to do that and be smart in what we take away um, and, and what we're going to do. And I think that's, again, we look at plus minus sometimes always from the offensive point of view, but I think you have to kind of look at who is your best combination of offense and defense at the same time. And how long can you keep that, that group together? And one thing that I would, that we've started to chart and do a better job of this year is, is using a competitive <laughs> cauldron and just competing and statting kind of like Seth said, having something that gives us an actual number and it, whether it's plus minus or your group on two on two on three on three is always in the last group. Why is that? And sometimes I'll put really bad groups together because I don't want to just only be able to put a set group of guys in during a game. I want to be able to put, you know, theoretically you want to be able to play eight or nine guys all the time. And so sometimes a group who's not performing well together, you've got to, find a way to try to make them perform well together and, and try to manufacture some of that in practice. And that can't take a whole lot of your time. 
But I do think as coaches, we, we need to try it a, a little bit, that we need to just not accept the fact that this group stinks and therefore they're not going to play. Yeah, I think it's just like any other piece of information, using it to make informed decisions, um, not becoming too bogged down in it, but just using it as another tool. Uh, we talk a lot with players about developing a, a shot or developing a new finishing move or whatever so that you have a new tool. This is another tool, and, and it shouldn't be something that's causes us to operate on an island with just analytics, but uh, something that maybe we can apply, hopefully apply. Um, and the ideas that were given tonight, phenomenal. I, I'm looking forward already to going back and listening to this. We'll talk to you again, hopefully, at the next Basketball IQ Workshop. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.